Well, if you have a Bible, we're going to be back in the Gospel of Mark, beginning in verse 11 and verse 27. We're going to look at Mark chapter 11, verse 27, and we're going to get through chapter 12, verse 12. It's so good to have a, a, a good summer day again. Last Sunday was rainy and the week before that, we were at the park, which is a beautiful day. But then the week before that, we were here and it was raining. So the Lord has blessed us with sunshine today. Good to see you all here. And um, we're going to look at this message, this story uh, uh, that Jesus tells from Mark chapter 12. We're going to focus mostly on chapter 12. But Jesus is going to remind us here in this story of a basic truth. A very basic truth. And it's a truth that I believe that if if everyone believed this truth and lived by this truth, that it might solve as much as half the world's problems right away. Imagine that. This must be something quite important. Uh, we're going to look at this together. First, let me read our passage. Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 27. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him, and they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I will ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. And they discussed it with one another, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say, Why then did you not believe him? But shall we say from man? They were afraid of the people, for they all held that John really was a prophet. So they answered Jesus, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And he began to speak to them in parables. A man planted a vineyard and put a fence around it and dug a pit for the wine press and built a tower and leased it to tenants and went into another country. When the season came, he sent a servant to the tenants to get from them some of the fruit of the vineyard. And they took him and beat him and sent him away empty handed. Again, he sent to them another servant, and they struck him on the head and treated him shamefully. And he sent another, and they had him killed. And so with many others, some they beat and some they killed. And he had still one other, a beloved son. Finally, he sent him to them, saying, they will respect my son. But those tenants said to one another, this is the heir. Come, let us kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. And they took him and killed him and threw him out of the vineyard. What will the owner of the vineyard do? He will come and destroy the tenants and give the vineyard to others. Have you not read this scripture? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. 
and they were seeking to arrest him, but feared the people, for they perceived that he had told the parable against them. So they left him and went away. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the life that it breathes into us. Help us to respond by faith. By your spirit, Lord, help us to see what we need to see here. This truth that changes everything. Lord, we want it to change us. In Jesus' name, amen. If there is a children's gathering today, I think they're in the fenced-in area. So I forgot to make that announcement, but it looks like the kids figured it out already. Uh, Children are meeting over in the little white picket fence area, preschool through uh, third grade, I believe. And they've got a lesson prepared over there. But as I said, Jesus is reminding us here of a basic truth that if everybody believes it, it would change the world and it would certainly change our lives. What is that truth? Well, we will get to that. But let's look at this. There's really two, two sections to this scripture that we just read. The first is the Jewish leaders challenging Jesus' authority. Remember that Jesus had gone into the temple we saw this just recently, and he, he cleared out the money changers. He, he created quite a mess there. And it says that, they, that Jesus came back to Jerusalem, and as he's walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders come to him. And I kind of have to believe they come to him saying, Jesus, um, you, you made a big mess around here the other day. Uh, we're not real pleased with what you've done. But they ask him this question, by what authority do you do these things? By what authority do you say these things? They are trying to to put Jesus in a corner. They want to charge him with blasphemy by him saying that he is from God. But Jesus turns the tables once again. This time it's not the literal tables, it's the metaphorical tables. He takes the, the, the leader's question and turns it back on them with this question about John the Baptist. Because he knows they didn't like John the Baptist, but the people did. And if they deny John the Baptist, it's going to cause their shaky political foundation to crumble even more. And so they are silenced by Jesus' question. He exposes the shaky ground on which they stand. So this first section, verses 27 through 33, uh, involves the authorities questioning the spiritual leaders of the, of the day questioning Jesus' authority. But now Jesus, in some ways, is going to answer their question, but through a parable, and in such a way that calls their authority into question. He tells this story about the vineyard. And it would have been immediately familiar to those whom he is speaking to. These religious leaders would have recognized right away that Jesus is referring to Isaiah Chapter 5. You don't have to turn there. I'm just going to read it quickly to you. But in Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 and 2, it says, Let me sing of my for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a very fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in the midst of it and hewed out a wine vat in it. And he looked for it to yield grapes, but it yielded wild grapes. Sounds exactly like the setting Jesus uh, explains for this parable that he is telling. 
And those listening would have understood immediately where he's going. But Jesus expands on this picture of the vineyard because um, he adds some characters. He adds some drama. He, he takes it further. And he, he describes how the owner of this vineyard has left it in control of, of servants, of tenants, tenants who are to, to care for the vineyard, but they don't own the vineyard. But anyhow, when the owner goes away and, and wants to check on how things are going, he sends some of his servants to see what are the tenants doing and to get some of the fruit of his vineyard. And what do these tenants do? Well, they, they beat the servants. Some they even kill. And the owner, of course, is not pleased at all with the, the, the events and um, ultimately sends his son believing surely they will respect my own son. But what happens? They kill even the son, believing that once the son is eliminated, the the, the vineyard will be theirs and theirs alone. Well, sometimes these parables Jesus tells are mysteries. Sometimes they're puzzles. Sometimes you've got to ponder them a while. Sometimes you've got to go to Jesus later and say, Jesus, what did you mean by this story that you just told? This is not one of those parables. The the meaning here is very clear. And it says at the end, verse 12, uh, that the leaders perceived that Jesus had told the parable against them. That's an understatement. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying. The vineyard is Israel. The vineyard are God's people. And these religious leaders are the tenants that God has left to lead those people. And the the, the servants that have been beaten and the servants that have been killed are the prophets that God sent over the years to call Israel's leaders back to faithfulness. And now the son himself is come. And that is Jesus Christ. Remember at the baptism in Mark chapter one, verse 11, when when, when Jesus is baptized, God declares, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We know who Jesus is. And Jesus declares here what authority he has to do what he does. In many respects, this is kind of like the parable Nathan tells to David, which Rick shared with us earlier in the summer. When Nathan went to, to David to confront him over his sin with Bathsheba, and, and it's very obvious that the, the man who's, who killed his neighbor's sheep uh, was wrong. And David realized it right away. And then Nathan turns and says, David, you are that man. Well, it's very obvious that these tenants are wrong when they drive off and kill the owner's servants and then his son. And Jesus basically says to these religious leaders, you are the tenants. You are the ones who have done this. They see it and they know And then Jesus quotes from Psalm 118, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. So the immediate application to this all is pretty clear. These religious leaders, not Israel as a whole, but the leaders of Israel are about to commit a terrible injustice as they kill the son of God. And Jesus makes that very, very obvious. But there's also a general application because we are not the leaders of Israel. 
we are not in the position that they were in as this parable was being told, but what can it mean to us? What is Jesus trying to teach that would apply to our own lives and our own situations today? Well, I think very simply, it is that truth that I, if everyone believed and followed, would change the world, would solve so many of our problems, would certainly change our own lives from top to bottom. And the simple truth is this. Everything belongs to God. I'll say it again. Everything belongs to God. This vineyard belonged to God. The tenants rejected the owner. They rejected his servants. They rejected his son because they wanted it for themselves. But the truth is it belongs to God. And this is a truth we find all throughout Scripture. In the book of Job, many times it's mentioned. Job says, I brought nothing into this world and I take nothing out of this world. And then he says, the Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. At the very foundation of it all, everything belongs to the Lord. God says in Job 41.11, everything under heaven belongs to me. And I hope you think about that. And I hope you think about what that means. Psalm 24 verse 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. There's not one piece of this universe that God does not lay claim to. He made it, and it is all for him. Now, as we think that through and work out the implications of that, we don't want to get the wrong ideas. Certainly, private property is not negated by this truth. The Bible is the most foundational legal document in world history that has preserved the right to private ownership and private property. We have, though, a very real responsibility as owners of that property to steward it in honor of God. So on a, on a horizontal plane, we do own property. We do own wealth. And God gives us that because on a vertical plane, we understand that we are stewards and everything ultimately belongs to God. Everything belongs to God. I don't think very many people think that today. I don't think very many people live that way today. Just imagine a, a Senate confirmation hearing for someone appointed to a, a high government position in a cabinet or, or a, a judge somewhere in which they say before the Senate confirmation committee that everything in the world belongs to God. Imagine what kind of reaction there might be because we're, we're conditioned not to think that way. But remember the Pledge of Allegiance to the American flag. As, as a kid, I remember standing and saying it every day before the, the school day started, and we put our, our hand over our heart, and we would say, one nation under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. This idea that our nation belongs to God is something that is, is, is written into our history. Our nation belongs to God. Our stuff belongs to God. Your money, 
your home, your cars, your tools, your toys, whatever it is, whatever we, 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 we have. It, it, do you think of this as understanding this belongs to God? Our bodies belong to God. How much would things change if everybody realized our bodies are not our own, but we were bought with a price? We belong to God, our physical body, how we treat our body. We are, we are stewards of the bodies that God gives us. They, our bodies are not to be, be mutilated or destroyed or tampered with in ways that would undermine God's ownership of our body. Our minds belong to God. The way that we think and the way that we understand the world, our very hearts, our very hearts ought to belong to God. We, we talk about giving our heart to Jesus. This is a very profound reality because, because he made us. Our lives, our very lives belong to God. What are you doing with it? How are you spending it? And when we think about the way our lives belong to God, we think about time and the time that we have and, 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 and how quickly it seems to, to slip away. I, I read in a book this week uh, by Donald Whitney the, the idea of time speeding up, and he described it in a way I'll never forget. He said the speeding up of time as you get older and older is kind of like paddling down the Niagara River. The closer you get, the faster it goes. Just remember that picture. What are you doing with your time? It belongs to God. Your career, your business, your family, all these things. Do we think of them in terms of the ownership of God over all things? And even this morning, it struck me, our salvation belongs to God. It says in Revelation 7, verse 10, salvation belongs to our God who reigns on the throne. Your very salvation is his. He is the one who saves. And all of this comes to a, a summation when we reach that day. When we stand before him, Romans 14, 12 says each one will give an account of himself. To God, the owner of the vineyard will come and will say, what have you done? What, what, what is in the vineyard of your life? And it's, it's sad to see that this parable doesn't end well for those who have rejected the owner. They are destroyed, it says. And I have to think, I'm just speculating here a little bit. But what if these tenants had somehow succeeded, killed the owner's son, and taken over the vineyard for themselves? How long would it have lasted? I doubt it would have lasted very long because they would have started fighting among themselves and they would have killed each other. Because here's the simple truth. To reject God's rule is to reject our joy. To reject God's rule is to reject our joy. Your life is a vineyard. It belongs to the Lord. Will you welcome him in? Will you give him the fruit of your labor? 
And as I thought this through, I thought of some prayers that we could pray. These are prayers that I've been trying to pray all week because they help me remember that God owns everything. Here's a prayer. Lord, how do you want me to spend your day? This is your day, Lord. What do you want me to do with it today? Lord, how should I spend your money? This is your money. What do you want me to use it for today? Lord, what should I do with the phone that I have or the tablet or the computer? It's yours. You can see it all. What do you want me to do with it today? Lord, you've blessed me with with my children, with with a wonderful family, and, and I've dedicated them to you. Lord, help me raise them up for your glory. Lord, whatever you call them to, help me to, to know that they are yours and that you will guide them. Lord, my life is your vineyard. Take whatever you want. I'm yours. How would the world change if all of us instantly believed and lived this truth? Lord, start with us today. Have your way in our hearts. Help us to see that we are your vineyard. And Lord, help us to welcome your son in. In his name we pray. Amen.